If you would, this morning, I would ask you uh, to turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke. My text this morning is going to be actually just one verse from Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. When I say my text is one verse, that doesn't mean that's the only verse we're going to look at, because we're going to look at a lot of verses this morning, God willing, but my text is primarily from one verse in the first chapter of the gospel according to Luke, and that would be verse 37, verse 37 of Luke chapter 1. So if you follow along as I read verse 37, uh, we'll look at this. And we'll go to the Lord in prayer and ask God's blessing upon our time together in his word. Verse 37 of Luke chapter 1. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Will you bow with me in prayer, would you? Oh, Lord, how we thank you. How we thank you and how we lift our hearts in praise and adoration. Lord, To know, to hear that our Father, our Father in heaven is a God in whom there is such power and such might that there is nothing that can hinder, nothing that can prevent that which he has purposed to do for your own honor and for your own glory and for the good of your children. And Lord, we stand in awe of such might and such power. It's beyond us to comprehend. It's beyond us to fully understand how it can really be. And yet we know it is. Lord, help us. Help us to rest. Help us to rest in the knowledge of it. And to place our confidence fully in what we know to be true. Lord, 
Father, how thankful I am for your word. I ask now that you'd grant your blessing upon the time that you've given us to spend together this morning in consideration of it. Ask that you might honor and glorify your name in this time we have. And help us, Lord. Help us, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. I think if we were honest with ourselves and before God, we'd all have to say that we have some fears, don't we? We all have fears. And often we have fears. And we express our fears in different ways. Sometimes we do it in anger. Sometimes in frustration. Sometimes we express our fears uh, with anxiety and worry and fret. Sometimes in despair. and distress in various other ways. The things that's going on in our nation, even now, cause us fears, don't they? We get upset by what we see going on. Isn't that fear? It really is. It's a lack of confidence, is it not? A lack of trust. The scripture teaches us that we are, as God's children, to live by faith. Living by faith is living with confidence and trust in the Lord and in what our Lord has said. I love that psalm that Justin read at the beginning of our time together this morning. Trusting in the Lord when we have our fears. Did you read, did you, did you notice closely what it said? You might want to look back there with me again for just a moment. Psalm 56. Verse 3, he says, as he writes in this psalm, as the Lord directs him, he says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. What time I am afraid? Talking about his fears. And then in the fourth verse, he says, In God, I will praise his word. I forget just exactly how the ESV, as Justin read it, said it. But in God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. It was interesting as I 
looked at this in the New American Standard. It says, I will not fear what mere man can do to me. I will not fear what mere man can do to me. For after all, my trust is in God. My trust is in the Lord. Then we go down to verse 9. Where he says toward the end of the verse, This I know. This I know. God is for me. God is for me. And oh, don't you remember what the Apostle Paul was led to write in the 8th chapter of his letter to the Romans in verse 31? If God be for us, who can be against us? Paul and the psalmist agreed, didn't they? If God be for us, who can be against us? So why don't we trust God? When our fears arise, why don't we turn to the Lord? God is for us. He's for us. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Well, we all have our fears. And a lot of times our fears are a result of our thinking that we have to depend upon our own ability to deal with the situation. All the while forgetting that our Lord made it very clear to us in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John that without him we don't have any ability at all. He said, without me, you can do nothing. John chapter 15, verse 5. Without me, you can do nothing. Nothing at all. How does that compare with his ability, with God's ability? With God, nothing's impossible. Without him, we can't do anything. And the Apostle Paul, if we listen to him, he kind of takes all the wind out of our sails. You know, when, when he te teaches us in Romans chapter 3 that we don't have any righteousness at all. We don't have any goodness at all in us. And because we don't have any righteousness, we don't have any goodness, then we can't do anything good in the eyes of God. 
There's none good, no, not one, and we don't do any good. How's that compared to what God does? Well, we've been we've been hearing messages from Genesis, and Justin has pointed out to us several times when God finished His creative work on the sixth day. He looked at what he had created, and it's recorded there in Genesis chapter 1. I believe it's verse 31, where it says, God looked at what he would created and saw that it was not just good, but it was what? It was very good. Very good. And if it's not plain enough, of what Paul said, that we can't do anything good. Isaiah the prophet. I listen to what he says. Isaiah the prophet tells us in Isaiah chapter 64 that if, well, he says, all our righteousness is plural. All our righteousness is plural. But looked upon God as nothing but filthy rags. Filthy rags. And I'm not even going to explain to you what that really means. The filthy rags. But all our righteousness is plural. That's so much as saying that if you Take everything good that you do from the day you're born until the day you die. You stack them all up and you add them all together and still yet, in God's eyes, that's all it is. Filthy rags. That's our goodness. That's our abilities. all it amounts to and so this morning I want us to just completely take our eyes off of ourselves completely take our eyes off ourselves and focus focus upon the one Here in our text, with whom we are told nothing is impossible. Nothing. This one. who is the creator of all things. This one that we are told who is God and with whom 
nothing is impossible. Well, to better understand uh, the meaning of these words here in verse 37, and unless we be accused by some of just taking one verse out of context uh, and making it say what we'd like for it to say, let's just take a brief look at the context of this verse here in Luke chapter 1, if we could, uh, and see what is taking place here. Most of us are familiar with this passage of Scripture, uh, but let's just review it quickly for just a few moments. You recall that an angel came and visited a maiden a virgin uh, who resided in a city in Galilee there in verse 26 we see it of chapter 1 uh, a city in called Galilee in Nazareth uh, and this particular virgin was named Mary and she was espoused the scripture says or engaged a man by the name of Joseph uh, and he was of the house of David and this angel came and he spoke to Mary and he told her that she was highly favored and that the Lord was with her and she was blessed among women not above women as some would like for us to think uh, but among women. And, and then in verse 29, we read that when she saw him, she was troubled. And some translations say she was greatly troubled. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but I suspect were I to be found in a situation or in a circumstance like Mary, and if I was visited by an angel, I don't know just what the appearance of this angel was like, what the angel looked like, if the angel came in the form of a man, uh, or, or just what. But I suspect that I would have had some fear in my heart should this occur to me. Uh, but the scripture tells us that she was troubled or greatly troubled, highly troubled, uh, there in verse 29, and began to wonder and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this could be, you know. Uh, and the angel Said, fear not, Mary. No reason to be afraid. For you found favor with God. And then the angel went on to tell her that she would conceive in her womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. 
and he would be great and be called the son of the highest. He gave him the throne of his father David and reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there'd be no end. Well, Mary said to this angel, how can such a thing be? You see, I'm a virgin. Never known a man. Never had relation like that with a man how can this be well the angel told her Mary the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God will come upon you and overshadow you therefore that holy thing which shall be born to thee will be called the Son of God. The Son of God. Hmm. And then we have 37, verse 37, our text. And Mary, with God, Nothing shall be impossible. Nothing. Now this passage, this passage that we've just been considering is, as you well know, Luke's account or at least a part of Luke's account of what we call the Christmas story, isn't it? About the birth of the Lord Jesus, the Son of God. And I want to make something real clear this morning. This is a lot more, a lot more than just a lovely story for Christmas time. For it's a message, it's a message that lies at the very foundation of the gospel. that the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.16 is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe it. This passage is a message in tells us something, a 
truth that lies at the foundation of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. But you see, he's telling us how that God had to become a man. Never ceased to be God. Never ceased to be God. But he had, had to become a man in order to die. Because God can't die. But man had sinned. And sin's got to be paid for. And God loved a people that were sinful. And the price for sin is death. And if man were to pay the price for his own sin, he'd spend eternity trying to do it and never, ever succeed. Could never pay such a price on his own. Never in all of eternity. So God had to become a man. Only God could do such a thing. So God became a man in order that he could save his people from their sin by dying in their place. And if you recall, that's what the angel spoke to Joseph a little bit earlier. When he told Joseph that Mary was going to have a baby and that he, they would have to call his name Jesus because he would save his people from their sin. He shall save his people from their sin. Matthew 121. Now with all this in mind, let's come back to our text, okay? In verse 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. This leads us to what was to become Mary's explicit statement of faith which gave evidence that God in his rich grace had spoken to her heart. Look at verse 38. Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. God had spoken to Mary's heart. 
the angel, which is God's messenger. He just brought God's message to Mary, didn't he? But Mary heard God's message. And she believed it. She believed it. And her response in faith was, be it unto me according to your word. That's faith. That's confidence. And that's what I want us to consider this morning. Were I to put a title on what I'm talking about this morning, it would simply be, Where Lies Your Confidence? Or Where Rests Your Confidence? That's where Mary's confidence rests. In the word of God. In the word of God. She anchored her confidence in the word of God. The apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 6 talked about Hope, having an anchor. What was it anchored in? The word of God. A rock. The word. Well, just what was this angel saying in verse 37? Just what was this angel saying? Well, our text says, with God nothing shall be impossible. Our English translations are probably pretty good translations of the original language. Uh, the King James that I'm reading out of and the New King James say, both say basically the same thing. With God, nothing shall be impossible. The New American Standard says nothing will be impossible with God, just kind of reverses the wording a little bit. And I think the English Standard Version and the Christian Standard Version say the same thing. Uh, but what lies at the very bottom of these words is this. No word from God is void of power. No word from God is void of power. That's what literally lies at the bottom of these words. No word from God is void of power. 
And really, that's what we read back in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. Are you familiar with that verse? Isaiah records there where God says, No, my word will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish what I send it forth to accomplish. It will accomplish my purpose. And so often there, the prophet Isaiah uh, tells us that God's word will always be accomplished. His purpose will always be fulfilled. No word from God is void of power. One of the time that we have remaining this morning here, I want us, if we can, to consider together just what this word really is. Just what it really is. Several years ago, I read a definition that a man gave of the word. I want to share that with you. He defined the word like this. He said the word is, number one, it is the revelation of God's eternal person. The word is the revelation of God's eternal person. Secondly, he said the word is the communication of God's eternal purpose. Thirdly, he says the word is the agent of God's eternal power. And I never have been able to forget that definition. It's always stuck with me. And so if I could this morning, with the help of God's Spirit, I'd like to enlarge upon his definition just a little bit, if I could. And this word, I want to point out, if I can, as we begin, is not just any word. It's not just any word. It's the divine word. It's that of the eternally self-existent, one and only true and living God. The word of God. The word of God. Well, first of all, let's consider what he said. The word being the revelation of his eternal person. Well, we all know what, well, what the word revelation means, don't we? What it means to reveal. Uh, revelation means the act of making something known. To reveal something is to expose it. It's to make it known. Uh, and so the word is the revelation of his eternal person, or it is the making known of his eternal person. Now, we know from the scripture that God always has been and, of course, always will be 
eternal. Uh, the psalmist in the 90th Psalm, which is a fami familiar verse that speaks to this. Let me share this with you. If I can get my fingers to work, get there. Verse, well, verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 90. Uh, the psalmist says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And we know also from the scripture that God is holy, don't we? So we know that he's eternal, that he's everlasting. We know that he is holy. We know from uh, the experience that Isaiah had and the vision that he had is recorded in Isaiah 6 that God is holy. For Isaiah said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And then these angelic creatures, the seraphim, were there, and they were crying out day and night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, for his majesty and his splendor and his sinless perfection. God's holy. And of course, when we come to know that God is holy, we can't help but see that we're not. We're not. We're sinful. We're sinful. And because of our sin, we're separated from him, alienated from him. And that presents a real problem, doesn't it? A real problem. How then can we ever come to know God or draw near to him? God being the God that he is and loving the people that he loves has provided a remedy for that. He's given us what? His word. His word. Wherein he gives us a revelation of himself. He has revealed himself to us in his word. And know this most certainly. The word of God is the only reliable source of truth about God. The prophet Isaiah said, If they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no truth in them. 
and God's greatest revelation of himself is in the revelation of his Son, the Lord Jesus, the living Word of God, the living Word. John writes of him in John chapter 1, first chapter of John, first few verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The same was in the beginning with God. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. Verse 14 goes on to say, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The living Word of God. The Lord Jesus. We could really never know God apart from Him. Jesus said as He prayed to the Father, and as it's recorded in John chapter 17, and in verse 3, He said, This is life eternal that they might know thee, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Well, the word, as the man said, is the revelation of the eternal person of God, God's eternal person. Isn't it amazing that God was pleased to reveal himself to us? How thankful we should be. But let's go on. The word is also the communication of his eternal purpose. The communication of his eternal purpose. Well, communication is the act of imparting, conferring, or delivering from one to another. The word is the communication of his eternal purpose. Did you notice when we made mention of Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 earlier, that it did not say, the angel didn't tell Joseph, call his name Jesus, for he will make salvation possible. Didn't say that, did it? Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Why is this? 
because it is God's eternal purpose to save his people. And just like Isaiah 55 said, his word will not return unto him void, but it will accomplish what he sends it forth to accomplish. Let's look back here in Isaiah, the 45th chapter. Isaiah chapter 45. Begin with verse 22. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. It says, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. The word is gone out of his mouth in righteousness and shall not return. Chapter 46 of Isaiah, beginning with verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient time, the things that are not yet done. Say, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Down in verse 11, toward the end of the verse, I have spoken it and I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it and I will also do it. The Word, the Word of God is the communication of God's eternal purpose. The Apostle Paul, as we come back into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. makes it very clear to us what God's purpose was. Verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 1. For Paul says to Timothy, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am Jesus. That's his purpose. His purpose is to save sinners. Well, let's look then at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Where Paul says to Timothy, speaking of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Truly then, Jesus, the living word, is the communication of God's 
eternal purpose. Is he not? The living word of God. The communication of God's eternal purpose. Well, let's look at the last one then before we conclude. The word is also the agent of God's eternal power. The agent of God's eternal power. Now an agent is one that exerts power or has the power to act. It's an active power or cause or that which has the power to produce an effect. And interestingly, agent is also defined as a substitute of one entrusted with the business of another. Consider that as we think about the word being an agent of his eternal power. Oh, consider, if you would, the potential in God's Word. You ever thought about that? The potential in God's Word. Potential comes from the word potent. And potent means efficacious. Powerful, powerful. Remember now our text, if you would. With God, nothing shall be impossible. which means no word from God is void of power. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says the word of God is living and powerful. Living and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is quick to discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Can't hide anything from the Word of God. God, through His Son, the Living Word, is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to His power. His power is at work within us. Hebrews 7, verse 25 says, He's able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God through Him, seeing He ever lives to make intercession. 
He, the living Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the agent of God's eternal power to save sinners from eternal ruin and separation from God. He's able to save us from our fears. Whatever they may be. And we have them. Don't we? Where does our confidence lie? Where does it rest? What are we trusting? With God, nothing is impossible. And God is for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Why then do we react with anger? with anxiety, with stress, with worry. When God is for us, and nothing is impossible with him. Let's trust God. Let's trust him with all our heart. Let's take him at his word. Let's be like Mary. And say, Lord, be it unto me according to your word. Can we do that? Can we rest our confidence in him? He'll never fail us. Hasn't yet. And never will. Let's pray.